What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Monday, May 23rd, 2022, and this week's episode, Bantamweights Look to Dominate the Calendar. We'll be talking about the women's bantamweight fight between Holly Holm and Ketlin Vieira, and we'll talk about the latest in MMA news, the return of former bantamweight king Henry Cejudo, uh, Habib Nurmagomedov looking to negotiate with Bellator, and of course a couple things in between. And we'll finish it off. We'll actually look back on a classic fight, not a bantamweight fight, but it was about as exciting as any 135 fight that you could find on the roster. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Happy Monday. Happy to talk to you. Uh, I went to Medieval Times on Saturday. When's the last time you've been to Medieval Times Dinner and Tournament? I, the closest I've ever come in life is I've stayed at the Excalibur in Las Vegas. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> I would like to. I like dragons and all that stuff, but you know, I, I kind of needed to be like all or nothing. Like if we're not going all out, it feels too corny, and so that's what. Uh, what's the opposite of persuade? It, it's what discourages me from making it a thing to go to it more. But was what, it fun? Prairie Farm is right next door, so you can do like a you know a double day. Uh, yeah, whole day. It's uh, yeah, it's fun. Uh, you, you mentioned dragon. They didn't used to do dragon thing, but now because of Game of Thrones, uh, when they give you your tomato soup, they call it dragon blood, um, and when they give you your chicken, they call it baby dragon. So. Oh my god! <laughs> sounds like spoiler a, alert. Yeah, sounds like a good time. We'll talk anyway. more about it. No, yeah, uh, guys, been busy. If you guys have followed me, you know, I did two events, Smash Global and Up Next Fighting, both here in Southern California. Follow me on social media, clips and clips and more clips and more highlights and more everything. Uh, talk with Chuck Liddell, talk with some of the celebrities on the carpet about attending an MMA event, talked with, uh, you know, just more of the men and women up and coming out here in Southern California. So all of that was there. That was my weekend. Um, Natalie, we got, uh, you know, okay, uh, probably they didn't go medieval, but they did go the distance, um, on Saturday while you were enjoying Dragon Blood and Baby <laughs> Dragons, Holly Holm and Ketlin Vieira at UFC Vegas 55, so I'm not gonna lie, and I know Saturday became an example, and we, it happens every several weeks, right, is that, oh, you know, the fight nights are not not what they used to be, quote-unquote. And I'm like, guys, you know, this is what happens when you you wanted more MMA. Well, guess what? Not everybody can be a superstar-ranked contender when you have a 15-fight-ish card every week. So this one was definitely, uh, I'll say main and co-main heavy, but there was some stuff to enjoy from the undercard. But for sure, the allure of Holly Holm and yes, if you caught Pereira versus Ponzinibbio, you expected some uh, fireworks there. But for the most part, the real star power was, can Holly come back? And for Ketlin, can she deliver? And instead, we got a very, I'll say it, it was a very interesting fight. And it did require you to be very well versed in your rule book. You couldn't just score it with your eyes, so to speak. But very simply, we get five rounds. Holly, for everything, and I know the commentary had thoughts, I actually thought she looked in great shape. I thought physically, Ketlin would look a lot bigger, faster, stronger. I really felt like Holly was able to hold her own. Uh, The beautiful sidekicks just kicked her off plenty of times, looked to clinch and slow her down. But I, I will say, I really thought Ketlin, at this stage of the game, considering the layoff, considering just the, uh, look, you're faster at 30 than you are at 40 in the fight game and really in any sport. I thought Ketlin would get a lot more of those exchanges on the feet in her favor. I thought Holly actually held her own pretty well. I thought she avoided taking a lot of heavy damage. However, uh, really the story of the fight was Ketlin trying to rally back and Holly really burning the clock. You know, there was a lot of time against the fence. There was a lot of work just, you know, Holly keeping her off, kind of cutting a lot of those exchanges short. And when we went to the scorecards, 
I will say it, it wasn't a blowout, but I felt like that was a pretty solid Holly Holm performance, if not the most entertaining. And we get it, and split decision goes to Ketlin Vieira. We'll talk about the decision. Certainly, there's a lot to talk about judging and scoring. But uh, first off, the fight for you, Natalie. Yeah, <clears throat> thank you. Um, I uh, was surprised by Holly Holm in this regard. Yeah, physically, like just her musculature. She looked very fit, ready to go. But as soon as she started moving, that's when I noticed that there's a, there's there's occurred a change, right? Was it? Is it because it's been almost two years? Is it because she's 40? Is it because she's had injuries? Could have been one, two, three, all of the above, right? But especially in her left leg, it was a really strange thing that, to me, looked um, caught my attention. From the knee down, it looked like her leg just didn't move the way it used to, and it really affected her, uh, her, her general movement. She didn't do that lateral swinging that she usually does. I didn't see a lot of that. Even her forward movement looked a little compromised, so... I couldn't take my eyes off of that. That was very distracting for me through almost the entire fight. And still, she was able to use her veteran savvy to find ways to, to get an advantage in every almost every round. Yeah, of course, not the most exciting fight, but it shows us that she's still really strong and reminds us that she has become a complete mixed martial artist with her, you know, her grappling game being what it is. She used it against Megan Anderson really well, and I thought she used it effectively against Ketlin Vieira, though, of course, not, you know, the most thrilling um, style of fighting. You know, it's okay to use it here and there when necessary, but when that's what you keep relying on and going to because you're not having any luck on the feet, it's a little frustrating as a fight fan. But okay, you know, you have to do what you have to do. We all understand that. Um, in the end, I thought that she did enough with that, you know, cage work and the sidekicks that you mentioned when she tried to punch, you know, we know she doesn't have like extreme power in her fist because of the style that she used to employ, which was, you know, a lot of lateral movement. Um, and so it's a little bit of the winging punches and um, more volume than than power. So that wasn't very effective. On the other hand, Ketlin Vieira, you know, every punch was was a bomb. Right. Uh, and still. I thought Holly Holm did have the advantage. In the end, I thought she should have won the fight. I thought she had done enough. Ketlin's reaction to me was very strange, right? Down on the K canvas crying. That usually tells me like you didn't you didn't expect to win and you're thanking you're thanking God and, and the other gods, if there are any out there, for the victory, right? So I think they both knew that Holly won, but of course Ketlin's gonna gonna take the victory and be happy with it. I mean just listen to her corner. If you go back and listen to her coach, uh, Pettinaris, he didn't think she was winning the fight either. So it's a strange outcome on the cards. But that's kind of what happens when you fight the style that Holly did, which is not a lot of damage, just a lot of pressing. So there you go. We talked about it recently with uh, Rose Namajunas and Carla Sparza, right? It's just when you don't have these dramatic moments and when you have a lot of, you know, uh, it, it kind of feels like, you land a few punches, but if you hold the person against the fence long enough, it feels like it kind of neutralizes everything. If you're not doing heavy damage, yeah, it becomes such a such a tricky animal to score, right? Mm -hmm. And I we've seen plenty of examples where it goes the other way. It goes what fans would call the quote right way because it's like, oh well, you know, they were just kind of holding against the fence and trying to get a takedown, but if they didn't get it, then the person who threw the punches earlier should be winning because they're actually, quote, fighting and doing damage. And look, I mean, Monday morning, like, it's, I don't know how much you've seen on Instagram, but it's like MMA fighting is posting, like, Daniel Cormier. And by the way, Daniel Cormier didn't do an interview. He didn't reunite with Helwani. He just was on his channel, and it's like a thing, like, analyzing the scoring. Mm. How did you score it? How did you see it? For, you know, 36 hours later, who won the fight? It's, um, there's a lot of that this morning. And so uh, I will say I felt like, once again, it was just one of those weird kinds of fights. Um, Laura Sanko said that she did a, quite a bit of research and I, uh, obviously take some expansion, but essentially it's just like the rule book of scoring and then what, you know, contrasted with commentary, contrasted with, 
I think the general understanding of the rules, like they present, you know, like, I hate to say it, but there's a book on mm-hmm. how fights are scored, right? Yeah. And then you've seen, mostly just with the pay-per-views, it's notable. But when you tune into the broadcast and they show the rules, how many bullet points are on there that says, oh, effective striking, striking, grappling, blah, blah, blah? three exactly (laughs) is that a rule book no No. so i think that that leads to a bit of a disconnect in what exactly are you seeing winning points as opposed to like look if you got one person just clearly they just strike and someone's clearly landing more punches that's a very easy fight to score right yeah everyone could do that i think that saturday was a clear example that the presentation of the rules and an understanding of the rules in terms of scoring, not what you're allowed to do in the cage. I think that that's where we had a disconnect. But yes, from my own eyes, it felt like Holly should have won the fight, I think, to many people. And it looks like there was just a disconnect on what was scored and how it was scored on Saturday. And um, like I said, Daniel Cormier called him out. You have a couple of pros really being vocal this morning and just all weekend. So um yeah it's just once again how are they presented how are they understood once again a more unified understanding of what is actually prioritized when you have a fight like this I think all of those obviously it's kind of like we can never get it right but still let's revisit it and make an effort and hopefully we have even less of uh controversy like we did Saturday yeah yeah that's fair um, uh, it is what it is. I don't think that Holly, look, uh, had she gone out there and gone smoked, then I would say like, hey, this is, you know what, she's been at the top so long, et cetera, et cetera. This is, this was a sign and this is the changing of the guard. I'm not going to go so far as to say that after Saturday, for sure. Um, look, uh, the fact is, 135 for the first time in several years now. It's actually picking up and you feel like there's actually more going on than there have been. It, you know, what, what was it, 2020? Amanda never defended the Bantamweight title and we yeah. didn't even feel like discussing it because there was nothing to discuss. And I hate to say it, it was so unanimous that no one even brought it up that they, we don't, weren't discussing it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's not the case now. Now you have Irena Aldana. Now, Ketlin. Holly was coming back. Um, Yana Kunitskaya, you know, she's kind of still trying to break through, but she's not necessarily fully pushed out of the picture. You got to think whoever loses between Amanda and Juliana is still going to be a top five threat. So, you know, Holly at this stage of the game, is that title shot as close just on her name value and body of work as it was, let's say, last year? No. That being said, I do see a scenario where, especially if Juliana is still holding the title, it's still within striking distance. But she's going to need to put some work in. She's going to have to fight probably the loser of Juliana and Amanda to get to a title shot. But the, the fact is, it's not out of the question. Ketlin Vieira. I know it wasn't pretty, but the fact is, she's on the win streak. She beat Misha Tate last year. She beat Holly Holm on Saturday. Is she the next title contender? Like, should she be within striking distance of 135 pounds come July when they have the rematch? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's an easy one because it's not a murderer's row like it has been at 155. So there's a nice slow, like, um, movement of fighters making their way to the top and then back around. And so this is perfectly... Uh, sensible to suggest that Caitlin Vieira is next in line for the winner of, of Peña Nunes. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I want to point out, it, it's actually become frustrating because like last July, it actually felt like everything was actually moving really well for the women's bantamweight division. You had uh, Aldana coming off the knockout of Kunitskaya and then Caitlin was coming up and winning and then you're talking about the return of Jermaine Durand to me. And then it's like, you know, obviously Juliana Pena. And is she or isn't she going to get it? And suddenly it's like, hey, we actually have a very exciting little uh, title picture going on right here. And I hate to say it, but what happened? 
we haven't seen Aldana in over a year, and I get it. She's been injured. Uh, I believe Jermaine got, they were supposed to fight her and Jermaine. Yeah. Uh, the whole fight just falls apart, and we we haven't seen Durandami since she choked out Pena, and we haven't seen Aldana since last July. And it's looking at they have the schedule out. She's not on the books yet, so it's going to be a year since we've seen her. So process of elimination. Ketlin's been here. Ketlin's been winning. Ketlin's made it to the cage and gotten the dubs. She's the one who should be next up. Now, could someone sneak in? Particularly, let's say they rebook Aldana Germain. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I can certainly see that. But because we don't have that on the board right now, definitely. It's Ketlin up next. And I think that that's... Uh, I think she's earned it. I think people forget how close she was to a title shot before she hurt her knee about four years ago, three years ago now. Um, had some setbacks when she got back against Aldana and uh, I believe Yana uh, won a decision. But now this is a win over two of the biggest names at 135. I think that Kellen Vieira should stay ready in case anything happens in July. And for sure, she should look at it as she is the next woman up, um, unless someone else returns otherwise at Bantamweight. Yeah, absolutely. Stay ready. Like she is, no doubt, the next woman up, and and that's a, I mean that's a good place to be, right? So, what you know, even though I thought Holly won the fight, yes, Ketlin got the nod. Okay, she's next in line. And then my immediate thought after Holly didn't get the win was, okay, Holly Misha. Now we can see this again, right? They're both coming off losses against Ketlin Vieira. I mean, did it just write itself? I think it did. Yes, but Misha's gone to 125. Did I miss that? What yeah, happened? Lauren Murphy this summer. Oh. Yes. What? Yes. Come on, wait, Come on, Natalie. This. Come on, Zamudio. What are you doing? <laughs> Natalie. Jeez. Anyway, we'll get I to so, I was so pleased with myself for that. I know, okay. I know, I know. I, know. It, it could, <laughs> I think it could still happen. I think it could still happen. I think... 125. I, you got to assess Misha 125, but I... I I'm not going to lie. I could see that fight coming together. Uh, it depends on what Holly's looking to do at this stage of her career. Yeah. I mean, once again, it's kind of like, hey, you know, we're reaching that. Is it still, is it about still getting that shot at the belt? Is it about the love of the game at this point after this, you know, run that she's had? So I, I think that it's very possible. I almost feel like they're the perfect it's almost like, uh, I know Misha has said she's not, you know, she's taking the Michael Chandler, I'm not in it for a good time, I'm in it for, a, I'm not in it for a long time, I'm here for a good time. Yeah. They almost feel like perfect if they want to bow out against each other, you know? Yeah. So, who knows? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, like I said, uh, not the strongest card. Look, you had uh, Michelle Pereira just, uh, did you see just even the highlights, like, he looks so much. Ponzinibbio is not a small welterweight. No, not and at Pereira all. was just like, dude, like, what do they feed that man for a welterweight? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a, it's pretty incredible. That's it, for sure. It feels like, dude, it, he's kind of like Yo Romero at like one eighty five. It's just like, no, really, like, just they just throw extra muscle on Pereira and <laughs> overpowered, you know, just outstruck, overpowered uh, Ponzinibbio. Uh, Chidi and Jaquani got a win. Tabitha Ricci got a win. Um, so it was one of those nights, uh, another one. But like I said, I'm aware that, especially as we head into a break this week, this one kind of felt like, oh, you know, all right, I'll come back to MMA in a little bit. There's hockey playoffs, NBA playoffs. I, I get it. Friday was a very interesting one. So Habib actually set this up really well. I think that he's not being celebrated enough for how he promoted uh, the, the, his last event on Friday. Yeah. You had Junior Dos Santos taking on Jorgen DeCastro. And Habib comes out during the week and says, hey, we're talking to Scott Coker. If JDS beats DeCastro, JDS, we're going to set it up. And he fights Fedor for the last fight in Bellator. And I was like, wait, what? Huh? Like, that was some, you know, just... Like, how do you plan ahead cross-promotion? And just so casually, but it feels so possible, right? Yep. And uh, I'm not going to lie, it made me invested. 
Uh, I don't know if you caught highlights of the fight, but JDS looks good, just faster, just... He's just beating DeCastro to the punch. And then you get to the beginning of the third round, it feels like all JDS has to do is lather, rinse, repeat, and he's going to get the W, and we're going to talk about where can we have the fight with uh, Fedor. And then JDS, he just throws that punch. It kind of, it really, like, we see that punch thrown so often, a million times a week, and it just, nothing happens. But for some reason, you know, JDS, the punch glances off the shoulder of DeCastro, and you just see it, and his shoulder just pops right out of place. Oh, yeah. And then it's that awkward thing. The ref, he's given JDS time, but he's not calling off the fight. And look, guys, the fact is, it's not an eye poke, it's not a low blow. Uh, you suffered an injury. It's kind of, it doesn't look as visually similar because you feel like you could, if the ref does it himself, pops it in, he, JDS could go back out there. No, it's just like Anderson or Chris Weidman with the, the leg. The second the ref stops it because you are injured for something that was not an illegal blow, the fight's over. Yeah. And so there was an awkward pause, but the fact is the fight is called off. Jorgen DeCastro gets the win, um, and those plans just, uh, you know, they kind of evaporate. Um, disappointing, but I do want to ask you, because now Habib has really set a precedent. Because uh, as you've noticed, you know, Sergei Karatanov, he fought, um, oh my gosh, uh, Tyrone Spong in the first, like, the rebrand event. Uh, he pulled Islam Mamedov, who, I'm not going to lie, this is probably a top three contender for Bellator. And, you know, yes, he's part of Habib's team, but Bellator just sent Islam over, you know, just seemingly no controversy to compete at the Eagle event. And I really like this because it feels like Habib is just jumping right in really easily with one of the biggest promotions and now this idea of cross-promotion, yes, so far he's benefited more from getting the Bellator guys, but I really like this, Natalie. I, I feel like he is doing a good thing to really expedite the growth of the interest in Eagle FC making these public moves. So what about you? Yeah, I mean, he's had plenty of opportunities to, to learn from, from the folks who have the most experience at running promotions. And I think, you know, when you're the, well, when you're the independent contractor uh, or when you're an employee and you're looking at your boss or, you know, the person that, that writes your checks, who isn't sitting there thinking, oh, I would do this, this, this way, and I would do it better this way. And I have an idea that might work better out if we do it this way, or I wouldn't do that anymore. You know, everybody does it. So he's clearly been doing it too. And now his opportunity to shine and he has access to all the media whenever he wants uh, just like someone who's been, because of who he is, his stature, right? He can just say, I want to talk to the media, bada bing, bada boom. He didn't have to work his way up to it as a promoter the way, you know, Dana White and Scott Coker had to, had to do it, grinding it out. All that is to say that, yeah, he knows, he knows, he has a good sense of what he's doing. And he has the benefit of, you know, it's like when an actor becomes a director and they say they know how to speak to the actors. You know, he's a fighter who's a promoter. He knows how to communicate with fighters and get them to want to be a part of his promotion. And he's doing things like this, like already building anticipation for a fight with Fedor. That's going to get make him money. It's going to make JDS money now. Okay, JDS got the injury, but they're still talking like it's, it's a possibility, right? It's, I think that's what I've heard anyway at, at the latest there. So I like it. It's... It's what you want to see. It looks like he's on a pathway to success. And that's good because if you're a fight fan, you want to see the fighters we know that he signed continue to be able to fight and make money. And they can do that with Eagle FC for now, it looks like. I mean, I think the thing now is uh, the Fedor uh, aspect is what, do, what does he want? What do they want to make? Um, the impression I got is that respectfully... JDS on the name value might have been worth it for Bellator because remember now now Eagle FC gets a cut it's not all yeah. in-house it's not all just funneled straight in and they make a hundred percent of the profit on it 
with JDS, okay, you feel like there was more money to make, so you, maybe you're more comfortable cutting the check off the top. I don't know if Jorgen brings that same appeal to a fight with Fedor. Now, not saying it's impossible. I'm sure it's going to come up as it should, especially if your team Jorgen and his management and everything. But I do think that that kind of took the wind out of the sails. Not to say that Jorgen won't get a big fight, but you fight Fedor or you fight for you fight the Eagle FC heavyweight champion. Which yeah. I'm not gonna lie, I think even most media may not be able to tell you who it is. Right. And Eagle, respectfully. Of course. So I I, I get it there. And, and then we've kind of had this conversation. If you're Bellator, where do you go with this? Because it's like, well, do you try to get an Alistair Overeem who's on the market still? Do you just keep it all in house? And in which case, you know, do you want to give Fedor Czech Congo? Do you want to give him, you know, one of these other veterans that you have and just call him Macaroni, put on the show, <laughs> run the music, and that's it? I don't know. Um, I, I'll say this. It feels like there's a lot of acceptable options that make sense for Bellator and Fedor. There are very few that actually cover both. Because, you know, we talked about it a bit. You know, do you want to sign out? Is Alistair Overeem worth a contract right now? Do they feel he's, you know, in it for the long haul? Does Overeem, he's like, look, you know, you're going to, I can make a lot of money from somewhere else as the name. I'll come to Bellator only if I get a big contract at this much money. Does Bellator want to match that and come to the table? I don't know. Uh, I will say I think that we're going to be waiting a lot more for Fedor because I don't know if that right opponent is there like it was before. And I'm just leave it at that. Okay. Um, moving on, obviously there was a lot more going on in mixed martial arts. Um, this one was very interesting. Henry Cejudo, uh, so we know a couple weeks ago, we didn't necessarily cover it, but okay, he's back in the testing pool, right? And I think that's the biggest thing. I was actually convinced he was still in. I thought he was just saying he wasn't, but then I remembered technically it is public record, so you can see who they test any given time. Um, but look, uh, he said, oh, I'm coming back, blah, blah, blah. We've heard it before. But now more talk is ramping up. Rumors about Henry from his coach, from just the chatter around town. Returning at Bantamweight, possibly looking to reclaim the Bantamweight title before he gets serious about this pursuit of the featherweight title. And so assuming this is true, uh, do you see this being something that makes a significant impact? Like, does this honestly become a big play in the world of mixed martial arts in terms of, oh, we can make this matchup and that matchup? Like, is this is this a big deal? And I'll just toss it to you on that one. I think it is, actually. <clears throat> you know, it it was... He built up all this great brand. He built up his brand... And he did all these amazing things, double champ, triple C, and then he just walked away because he wasn't getting the money he wanted. Would it have been better, you know, for the story if he just, like, <laughs> kept doing his coaching thing? In some ways, I felt yes, um, because when he returned, it was like, oh, okay, like, if you wanted a break, you should have just said you wanted a break, but to make a whole big thing about retiring, it just seems phony to me. So whatever the motives were, he is still, or he, you know, he, he's still is likely to be a very, very competitive bantamweight. And I think from what we've seen in the past, he has the ability to surprise us, to dig deep, to come from behind, and to, to knock out opponents in an exciting fashion. So there's still a lot of interest for me uh, to see him back at 135. You know, as far as the next weight class up, it obviously it depends on how he performs at 135. But yeah, I think it does stir things up. I think it's exciting. You still have TJ Dillashaw, Algermain Sterling, Piotr. I'm like, these, this division is just percolating right now. And so I think adding Henry Cejudo into the mix is actually a good thing. Now, if you're the person that's ranked just a few notches below these three guys that, that I just named, you're probably a little upset because now Henry Cejudo is likely to take a spot that you could have... Um, that you could have been holding, 
but I mean, that's what it is, right? It is what it is. Yeah, I, I will say, I think that um, at this juncture, it's a big deal. And I'll, I'll tell you why, because I think that outside of the John Jones and Ganu heavyweight situation, and I will say, I think Charles at lightweight right now and what where we go with that, I don't know, just because it's, uh, Kamar Usman comes out and says, oh, well, you know, the hope is I fight this summer, but we're taking our time with it, as he should. It kind of opens this door. If we see Henry Cejudo come back for Kamaru Usman, it immediately becomes a very intriguing storyline. Because we always want the biggest fights possible, right? And whatever you have to say about the cringe, I will say just, I know how fans feel about, hey, which fighters are worth that $80 pay-per-view, etc., you got a double champ who never lost, looking to not only get his belt back, most likely, then try to go immediately into getting a record-breaking third belt, like third weight class. That is a big deal. That is a big fight. And I think that when you look at the situation with some of the other divisions, and are we running rematches? Are we? Do we have someone who's kind of run the table and there's not that level of interest in the B-side? All of that makes, you know, it, it makes it a very intriguing situation. It makes it a big fight. I think it's a, it would make for a high-level MMA. So I, I do agree. I think it's a big deal. I think that he's, I'm going to just say it, we've got to let the cringe go. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to hear him talk about other people. If the fight is not signed, I don't need to hear it from him. Because then that's just good. Uh, it's going to be counterproductive. I think, look, we've heard enough of this for the last several years. Sign the fight, and then you could talk all you want. Because then it builds interest. Yeah. But until there's a fight, we're just spinning the wheels, and it's like, bro, just, are you, are you not? We've heard it before. But if it comes to fruition, I think this is one of the top five fights that could happen in MMA right now, outside of, you know, Fury and Nganu. Or sorry, like in just anything Francis Ngannou, John Jones, mm-hmm. yeah. Tyson Fury. Then you have um, at lightweight, Charles, maybe Islam, maybe someone else. I think that when you look at the table, okay, Henry possibly coming to get one of these would be one of the best fights you could have on their calendar. So I do like it. All right. And by the way, Henry Cejudo, an Eagle FC commentator somehow. Just... Yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, I have a question. You know how uh, you've seen the videos pop up on YouTube. Habib does a pre-fight show, and just like it's no big deal, he has Kamaru Usman and Henry in jail. Yeah. Is yeah. Habib texting people, or is Ali texting people? Oh, Ali probably. Yeah. I agree with that too. Part of me <laughs> just like I. It's not that Habib is above it, but I feel like like I don't know who's actually the power behind the throne at Eagle. Does that make sense? It does. I also would say, you know, there are some people that are go-getters and want to have a hand in everything they do. Habib strikes me as the kind of guy, and I think this probably happens when you grow up in a big family where everyone's in your house, as the kind of person who can delegate. You know, everyone has a has their role. Everyone has a job. So Khabib's probably like maybe he has a conversation with Ali, like, oh yeah, you know, whoever's idea it is doesn't matter. This person, this person, okay, okay. And Ali says, okay, I'll get it done, brother. And then that's kind of how it goes. That's that's how I envision it going. <laughs> I will say uh, everything I know is that Habib is still very invested. Like, it, not just Islam Mahachev, but he's got his cousin. He's got uh, mm-hmm. Tagir. He's got Islam Mamedov. You know, he's got his other cousin Usman in Bellator. There's, he is still a very active part of all of these camps yeah. and training, like day in, week in, week out. So I do agree with you that I do sense a bit of delegation. And look, he, let's be honest, Ali Abdelaziz is cool giving him the credit, right? It's like, yeah. oh yeah, that... That was all Habib, and they want to work with Habib and be a part of Habib. And it's like, well, for one, two of those guys are under contract with you, Ali. But 
I, I will say, I, I do see that. And I think that that's, look, when you got that kind of power, you're able, to, you don't have to negotiate. You could just text the people you want and they show up. Yep. And you know what? More power to you. Yeah. And apparently, you know, there's no stipulation in the UFC contracts that, that prevent them from doing commentary roles with other promotions. I mean, we've seen, we've seen uh, that happen before. So yeah, more power to you. You know, Henry Cejudo is very shrewd, a uh, very shrewd businessman. He's, he's doing a great job of building his, you know, out of the cage brand with, um, you know, acquiring or, or um, attracting fighters that are, you know, still in the UFC looking for redemption. He does that, you know, hot boxing with Mike Tyson. Like he's very shrewd at getting himself out there, keeping his name in the in the in the news and then boom, back in. So I'll never count that man out. That's for sure. Very fair, very fair. I, I'm with you there. Um, we got one more news story. We will talk about a fight because that's what we like to do. But um, Amanda Nunes opens up to say that Kayla Harrison was part of the reasons why she split from American Top Team. So essentially, she opened up in an interview um, in Portuguese to say that, you know, when she was at American Top Team, she was one of the few women there, if not one of the first. And she was definitely one of the first women to, you know, double champ and really, really build a presence there. And now as American Top Team has, quite frankly, exploded over the last several years, you know, Amanda as, you know, arguably the best women's fighter of all time was a big part of that. And then obviously Kayla Harrison is part of the game and Kayla Harrison, you know, she gets asked and she starts saying, well, you know. I'm cool with Amanda, but yeah, you know, do I want to be the best? Do I want to prove myself against the best? And Amanda Nunes comes out to say, you know, like, wait, what? Like, you know, and she, I guess she just felt a little bit like, um, I guess it just felt like the, there was a bit of a friction there. It's like, oh, like, are we cool or are we just kind of playing nice until, you want to come after me, is the impression I got from reading the article. And I want to toss it to you, because I feel like that was... Now she says, look, if Kayla comes to the UFC, I'm down to fight her. And I'm not going to lie, that would have been a lot more interesting about three months ago. Right. Because now I'm just like, well, that just sounds like a slap in the face after all the investment I made, you know? But uh, talk to me. Yeah, this was interesting because... You can definitely see both sides. If you're thinking of your position as Kayla Harrison, you're trying to build yourself up. I mean, you're a, just a, a fighter through and through in every sense of the word, Olympics, and now in this transition to MMA and the parenting role that she's taken on. So, like, if someone asks her, do you want to fight what is, who is currently considered the best female fighter, regardless of her being your teammate, how could you say no? Like, you have to say yes. You have to want to be the best. And it would be inauthentic. It would be lying if you said you didn't want to. You know, so I just, I, there's no world in which I can imagine Kayla Harrison skirting around that question. It just doesn't make sense. On the flip side, if I'm Amanda Nunes and I'm training with her and teaching her things, presumably, or at the very least, you know, being willing to share the mat with her, I would be a little bit mm, confused, uh, perturbed concerned because yeah as you pointed out now I'm thinking are you are you talking to me are you letting me you know are you are you sparring with me whatever it is are you training with me befriending me because you want to learn from the best or because you want to usurp the best so I see both sides clearly it's not a surprise that Nunes left because of what was happening at ATT I didn't expect it to be specifically Kayla Harrison um but I understand it, and I think it's the right move for her to move on. We've seen it before. Like, uh, wasn't it Robbie Lawler that left, right, when, Ty- when Tyron Woodley <laughs> beat him? Like, Something it, it kind like of that, yeah. Sense. Yeah, no, and of course, Nunes and Kayla Harrison have never fought. And, again, as you pointed out, probably <laughs> will they ever, depending on this PFL contract and, and the how, how tightly she's bound to it. And I'll, in any case... Uh, it makes sense hearing this side from Nunes. 
I'd like to hear what Kayla Harrison has to say in response, but I suspect it's going to be the same as what I'm telling you, which is what else would I say? Like, yeah, we're friendly. We're not best friends. We're teammates, but we're not, you know, sisters. Like, yeah, I want to beat her if we ever get a chance to fight. But for now, we're just going to train together. That's how I see it. I mean, it's just so awkward because you have like Amanda going to watch Kayla at PFL and it's like, it it's like um Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal without the heat you know yeah yeah oh yeah besties and I grow and it's not gonna happen and now it's like well you know hey Kayla Harrison was never my friend I mean how friendly were they that's that's what I guess I was, was I never got the clear. impression they were really cool like I'm not okay. saying that Kayla and Amanda go get brunch and mimosas and all that right, on a Tuesday right. but uh, uh, you know what okay you know and this I'll be honest this raises my interest in recently announced the July 30th pay-per-view so once again it's going to be a two-pack in July you have international fight week on I believe it's July 2nd and then at the end of the month you're going to have the rematch between Amanda and Juliana Pena um, I believe Okay, so I have to see that. I don't even think you're able to check, but I believe technically that's the first pay-per-view as soon as Ultimate Fighter quits airing. Okay. Because I don't know if Ultimate Fighter actually ends before International Fight Week, because I really thought they were going to make that happen. Like, it'll air, even if they air like two episodes at once a week earlier, just so it yeah, fits. Yeah, they should have done that. That's yeah. what I thought, because I really thought Amanda and Juliana would be added to July. But okay, it is what it is. Both of these cards are actually really good, but you have Brenda Moreno, Kai Car France in July. You got uh I believe Sergey Pavlovich taking on the hometown guy, Derek Lewis in Texas. Or sorry, not hometown, you know, Dallas is far from Houston. But um then you got Paulo Costa and Luke Rockhold. That's a great card. But what I like about that is now we have a date where everything is gonna be put to the test for Amanda. The departure from the camp, yeah. the dynamics of working around Juliana Pena on tough for several weeks. So I am game. I am here for it. I'm ready. What about you? Yeah, me too. I mean, this is a um, look. Pena has a lot to prove that it wasn't a fluke, that it, she didn't just beat Nunes because Nunes said, I checked out. Uh, that's, a, that's a tough one to, to if you're the one that, that beat Nunes, you know, to look in the mirror and be like, OK, did I actually beat her? Like, legitimately beat the best Nunez, or was I just beating a, a ghost, you know, a shadow of who she used to be? So that's, if I'm, if I'm Pena, I'm, I'm worried about that. Uh, Nunez just has to come in and be Nunez, but can she be that Nunez we know with a completely different team and a completely different gym? Yeah, there's a lot on the line, a lot of questions in the air, for sure. I mean, look, I'm ready for it. I, it's going to be a very, uh, July is just picking up heat. You know, you got London, you've got, uh, you know, International, now you're going Dallas. So it, it just makes for a very, very exciting month of MMA overall. And now we get to it. So once again, there's no one championship, there's no PFL, there's no Bellator, there's no UFC. Let me look at it. I don't even think there's uh, LFA going on this week. So what do we have to talk about? And so, Natalie, I hope you don't mind. I selected, uh, you know, a classic fight. So we are going to go back. I actually need to double check the date. I want to say this fight took place in 2012. But it is the rematch at Bellator 106. Michael Chandler, Eddie Alvarez, part two. So I'm going to actually open it up with this simple question. What do you know about this fight before we covered it this week? So, yeah, before, before you, you brought it to my attention, um, do I really want to tell you what I knew about this yeah, fight? I'll just say it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know they had, I did, well, I didn't know they had fought twice. I'll tell you that. And so um, that's just pretty much putting all my cards on the table. <laughs> Natalie, we need to get you on YouTube stats. I started late. I started late. 2013 was when 
uh, this fight was, I think, or no, 2020? 2013. 2013. 2013. Okay, was, so. so like I was just getting into it, uh, you know, through Rousey and and when she got, when did she start UFC? It was around there, wasn't it? Or am I a little yes, late? Uh, yeah, yeah okay. So you know my story. It started with Rousey, and it, and it only followed Rousey and then Silva it, when they were fighting. It wasn't until a few years later that I was like literally watching every card, okay. pay-per-view or not. So my apologies. This is to the MMA world. Have you also never seen Rory McDonald versus Robbie Lawler too? Okay, I've seen that. <laughs> Come on now. It's like the, I mean, did hey, I watch <laughs> Have you heard of Forrest Griffin and Stephen Bonner? <laughs> yes, I've I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I used to listen to Joe Rogan a lot before before Joe and that was like one of his favorite things to say. Okay. That, that, that was that was what got everyone excited. Friends were calling each other. Put it on Spike. I don't These guys think... are beating each other up. That, that was his favorite thing to say. I th- okay, one day we'll talk about this one. I did my homework. That's. It's not that it wasn't bananas, but it may not be correct. But anyway, yeah, I digress. Sense. I. I, um, I yeah. So let's go back. I'd like to set the stage. 2013. It is set to be November 2013. It is set to be the first pay-per-view for Bellator. So what you'll remember about, you know, 08, 07-ish, Bellator bursts onto the scene, and they're just doing their thing. It's the tournament format. Every season, quote-unquote, the seasons are short, but, you know, it's like, oh, we got the lightweights, we got the welterweights, and you have, you know, their early stars, Douglas Lima, Ben Askren, Eddie Alvarez, obviously. Um, and then slowly, you know, the Patricio Pitbulls of the world emerge. And then now, obviously, we're in a new generation with the AJ McKee. And then you've got the veterans like Musasi and everybody else running the table in Bellator. But back then, Eddie Alvarez was the man. He was the one who got picked up. And he was very similar to Kayla Harrison now. Just burst onto the scene and he was exciting. And it's like, oh, you know, this is... One of the best, one of the most dominant and exciting fighters, not in the UFC, and who has never fought in the UFC or fought for pride, etc. Come in, this young man by the name of Michael Chandler. Natalie, have you heard of Michael Chandler? I'm just Michael checking. Chandler. I know you're kind of new to this. <laughs> <laughs> Even my son knows Michael Chandler. Come okay, <laughs> okay. She's already ahead of mom. Not just kidding. Yes, he's already ahead of me. <laughs> anyway comes in and in 2011 by the way it's talked about a lot happened at the same time as dan henderson and shogun beating the daylight out of each other michael chandler comes in has a war and shocks eddie alvarez chokes him out wins the title and we'll talk about the future how it went for him after that they set the stage it's supposed to be an epic card now in november but they weren't the main event Bellator signed Quinton Rampage Jackson, they signed Tito Ortiz, and they have this epic promo, and they're going to fight, and there was a lot of little stuff. You had the heavyweight finals of the tournament with Czech Congo, you had their, I'll just call it what it is, the rip-off Ultimate Fighter, Fightmaster, something like that, with mm-hmm. uh, Joe Riggs and them, there have that final is going to be on the pay-per-view, Eddie and Michael, and you know what, Natalie? About less than two weeks before the fight, everything just gets shuffled. They lose Ram. They lose Tito first, and then Rampage. All right, I'm not fighting. They lose Chuck Congo like a week later or a day later, something like that. And so they've been running it. Oh, it's gonna be Bellator's first pay per view. Bellator's first pay per view, and then just overnight, they just rip off the band aid, and they're like. It's going to be free on Spike. <laughs> and, you know, it just, I swear, it was like they just didn't want to beat around the bush. They're like, I don't, I could, I, it wasn't Scott Coker era yet. It was Bjorn Rebney, but yeah, they just ripped it off and you could almost feel them like through the press release, you know? Anyway, I was, so true story. That was actually my first Bellator event. I was just there as a fan. I was living close to Long Beach where they had it. And you know what? I'll tell you this. Being there, it was a slow burn. Like prelims were okay, but then it was like we had two, it felt like two five-round decisions, something like that. The card was just slow. 
like the main card and then you know you kind of lost the anticipation of Rampage and Tito and all that so now all of the energy gets funneled into can Chandler and Alvarez live up to the first fight and that's where I'm going to toss it to you because now it kind of set the stage you've seen some highlights you've had time to read about it uh, what did you gleam from the this epic rematch between Eddie and Mike? Yeah, I watched the fight. I watched the whole fight. I did. I did my due diligence, and I read your your beautiful article, and uh, about the this moment in time in MMA history. Uh, so, I was as I was watching the fight, I was most of it less thinking is how much of a more aggressive uh, fighter Michael Chandler is now. His physique has changed a little bit. He's just a little bit more muscular. Uh, and his stance has changed. So I was just initially noting those differences. Eddie Alvarez looked the same to me as I last remember him uh, recently fighting. Um, and I'm waiting for the, like, I'm, <laughs> this is going to sound weird, but I'm waiting for it to get epic, right? And so, like, first round, I'm like, okay, that was, that was fine. That was good. Round two. Then by round three, it starts it starts burning rubber, right? So we're, we're getting into it. I think round three is the round that Eddie Alvarez won, if I remember correctly. Um, but, but Michael Chandler, for all his efforts and his wrestling dominance, and you know he's having some success with striking, but mostly it's the wrestling, um, he, he gets injured, right? He gets like a, I don't know if it ended up being a broken orbital or what, but his left eye um, starts swelling up pretty darn badly. Um, and for whatever reason, Jimmy Smith keeps saying it's his right eye. It's his right eye. <laughs> <laughs> and my son was like, his right eye. And I'm like, no, it's not his right eye. It's his left. I was watching it with my two-year-old son. That's, when it got really bloody, I thought, probably shouldn't have been doing this. Um, no, you're doing it right. Don't let, don't let <laughs> yeah, the parenting right? books change you. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I mean, look, this is real professional combat sports. These people train very hard to get to this position. Anyway, that's what I keep telling myself uh, as I let him watch this fight. So so we're in it, right? It starts, it starts building up steam round four. Chandler's like looking like he did at the end of that Justin Gaethje fight. He's just standing there, kind of Lando Venatine, just standing there and dodging, slipping, dodging, getting all beat up. Blood is pouring out of his mouth. Uh, it's getting pretty, uh, pretty wild. At the end there, Chandler, round five, you know, he has success towards the end of the round, but at the beginning, Eddie Alvarez is really, really hurting him up. When it was done, I thought, damn, okay, I can see now why this was such a memorable fight, uh, an epic moment for Bellator. And I thought initially, I was like, you know, Michael Chandler has been, has really has been a badass and a legend in this sport for a long time. And, uh, you know, I already knew Eddie Alvarez was, but like, I'm watching this fight and thinking, I shouldn't be surprised when I see him do these things in the UFC, because look what he was already doing in Bellator 10 years ago. Like, this guy has been in it and he's been killing it. So, that was my final impression of Chandler. I thought he won the fight, like uh, Jimmy Smith there. I thought he won three rounds to two. I was surprised by that outcome, the judge's decision. Um, do you recall what the reaction was? At least you're, you know, you're, you were there uh, publicly. You were there in the crowd. But do you recall your reaction from the folks on the internet and whatnot after that decision? I do remember thinking, oh, this one could go either way. But distinctly, it's kind of like... Um... You'll see it happen every now and then. I think that just even when you have two fan favorites, one of them just seems to be the people's favorite. Yeah. And that was Eddie. I right. remember like yeah. the, th that crowd was trying to will him to that title fight back. And one thing I will say I appreciated was that I think when you're at UFC events and it's a full house, sometimes you got a lot of people just kind of along for the ride. And they're not really as educated. I think that yeah. when you have a packed Bellator house, you are invested because you know, like, you got to really be a hardcore, right? Yeah. Like, if you're coming out and spending your money to be there, it's because you really, you know, you're interested in this. You have a vested interest in, you know, look, your money could go to a, quote, bigger show. You want it to be at this one. Um, and they just willed Eddie to that decision and... It, I'm not going to call robbery that one. Yeah, could it have gone either way? Yeah. But uh, I think that fifth round really sealed the deal for Eddie. I remember thinking that. I was like, oh, he needs it, and he got it. And uh, after everything they'd been through, they put the damage on each other again. 
it was just a lot of fun and yeah it was just one of those back and forth and Eddie's getting his and Chandler's getting his and you're kind of wondering if either of them their will is just gonna break before the final bell and really it didn't I mean Chandler slows down but Eddie you know he's still there and Eddie keeps going at him so I just remember it being such an epic night though like okay when you're at UFC it's a UFC it's the guys, right? It's the one yeah. everyone knows, and it's a. It feels like a cultural moment, like a when the Super Bowl, when you're at a big, or you know, the big game, like in basketball, it's the playoffs, it's a game seven, something like that. Bell, you know, Bellator has rarely, if never, been able to have those kinds of nights. But I remember thinking that was such a fun night at the Bellator show, for sure. Yeah, man, that's great that, that you were there because, yeah, I can imagine the energy was bananas. And uh, it's a great point that you made about fight fans at a Bellator fight. You know, yeah, they really have to be committed to the sport and wanting to see MMA on every level. You know, when you buy a ticket to go see Bellator at Pachanga, like, you really want to see fighting and you really want to see Bellator fighting. So that I, I really like that. That resonates a lot with me there. So, um, yeah, man, what a what a what a crazy fight. At the end of it, Eddie Alvarez still looked pretty. He had a little bruise, but that was it. Chandler was, he looked like a, do you know what a garbage pail kid is? <laughs> yes. He I looked am. like a garbage pail kid, man. He was beat up. <laughs> it was It was definitely one of those. Also, I remember it was at the Long Beach Convention Center, so it was not quite the forum, not quite MSG, but not the little, uh, you know, the Indian reservation either. Yeah, uh, in the casino, it, it was really quite something. So for sure, nice. um, man, you know. So where where do they go from here? So spoiler, um, they say after that, oh, we're doing the trilogy, and they do the photo shoot, and Eddie's there, and Michael's there. Never happens. Eddie injures himself. Mike goes on to lose, I believe, to Will Brooks. And just quite frankly, Eddie entered the contract dispute with then-President Bjorn Rebney in Bellator. And long story short, when Scott Coker came in, Eddie was already like, no disrespect, I'm just done here. I want to go be all I could be at UFC. Scott Coker doesn't beat around the bush, says, you want to go, let him go. And that's the end of that. Eddie comes to the UFC. Eddie has a short but memorable run, wins the title, loses... In the big fight, Conor McGregor has the war with Justin Gaethje, fights Dustin Poirier twice, etc., etc. Michael Chandler goes on to set, uh, it was then broken by Patricio Pitbull, ironically in the fight against Michael Chandler, but Michael Chandler and Patricio, essentially they go like neck and neck, they were tied for everything from like most wins, most finishes, most wins in title fights. Most title fights overall, um, they they were so neck and neck with a ridiculous number of stats. And then Patricio Pitbull beats Chandler, and obviously he's been there, um, the man now in Bellator statistically by the numbers, just the best homegrown fighter. Michael Chandler, of course, comes to the UFC. He's been here for a good time, not a long time. Uh, Charles Oliveira, Justin Gaethje, Tony Ferguson, Dan Hooker. Obviously, been very memorable fights for him, but yeah, that's it. You know, Natalie, final thoughts. They never have a trilogy. They both go on to make a name in the UFC. Now Eddie is in one championship. What are your thoughts? It's uh, it's one of those that it would have been nice to see a third one, but they've sort of managed to still, not manage, but they've done exciting, thrilling things for themselves without having to, you know, beat each other up for a third time. So I'm okay with it. And at this point, uh, there's a very slim chance that we'll ever see that again. Unless, like, it would have to be an older Alvarez and a Chandler who's left the UFC uh, meeting up at some other promotion. So I doubt it. But never say never, right? Exactly. I think that it's one of those fights. I mean... Look how old Tito and Chuck were. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, Tyson and Roy Jones. That's I, right. I'm and not, those were still 
you know, they had their entertainment value. Yeah, decently entertaining. So I'm not going to say that we couldn't ever see it, but I will acknowledge that it's just one of those never meant to be that, to figure out who got to reign supreme after going one and one. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, final note, uh, Bellator pay-per-views. I know the obvious answer is going to be like, I'm glad there's not one more thing that I have to pay for. Um, not just for us, but like for anybody, right? Yeah. In the, you know, as a fan. I do think that it was a very, I hate to say it, but it almost felt like you got a crash course in exactly why it is so hard, even now, to put on a pay-per-view in combat sports. Like, UFC, and I wrote it in the article, they kind of have a monopoly. Just the brand is so big and their resources and, yes, their ability to essentially sign a lot of entertaining and, quote, big-name talent that sometimes it is because they build, but let's be honest, they have a lot of great fighters, anyone will acknowledge in the UFC, that it's really hard to... If you're a casual fan to say, oh, I'm going to pay this much money for a non-UFC product in MMA. And yeah. then on top of that, any combat sports product when, look, if you want to watch the Canelos and the Triple Gs of the world and et cetera, et cetera. I, and I think that Bellator, they tried, I believe, two times. So this one did not work out, but then they went on to do another pay-per-view just going to say it didn't go well. They tried again years later with Scott Coker. And they loaded that MSG card with Fedor and Chandler. And um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting right now. Chelsona and Vanderlei. Mm -hmm. And it, same thing. Just, oh yeah, that's a great card. Are you paying for it? Um, mm, ah, mm, ah, yeah. The replay, right? Yep. And uh, you know what? Just what are your final thoughts on the pay-per-view model like? as we learned through Bellator trying to make the jump. It, it's tricky now because the UFC has so many, like, yeah, consistently every month, right? If they didn't, there would be an opportunity for Bellator to do, to have some success with the pay-per-view because the month that UFC is off, Bellator could have one. And people might be willing to pay if, if they're putting all their eggs in one basket, right? Uh, Bellator. Um, the problem is, like you, this fight that we're talking about, this card, they did put all their eggs in one basket. And then when one egg fell out, you know, or one pair of eggs fell out, they had another one to fall back on. Then those fell out. And, like, the UFC can do something like they did with DC and Jones and call in Anderson Silva to fight DC to save a card. Bellator doesn't have that luxury. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think that there's, frankly, there's not room for another MMA promotion right now to successfully do multiple pay-per-views per year. But I think the streaming, the way streaming goes now, you know, and through Showtime, I think that's the best place for Bellator Showtime. As far as combat sports pay-per-views, for me to pay a lot of money for a non-UFC pay-per-view, it'd have to be a spectacular boxing matchup or even something a little bit novel like BKFC. I have paid for a couple of those uh, in the early days. But that's about it. It's uh, UFC somehow has really just, they've done such a good job with their brand. And, and they deliver most of the time. And that's why they can keep having pay-per-views every month. Yeah, I think that, um, look, I know people talk about it and it's a big thing, especially when you talk about the fighter pay and everything else of it all. But it, it really is true. And I think that that's, that's the catch-22. If you are a business owner, you would want to be like the UFC that just bottlenecks it all so much and it all goes to you in-house, right? Yep. Um, and you make all this profit and you save this much money on costs and everything. Of course you would. The flip side of that is everything that we always negotiate. You know, everyone deserves to get paid, right? Especially if you're putting on a show like the Gaethje's and Chandler's and Eddie Alvarez's and everything else that really make this so epic and make it a money-making business. Of course. Um, and then as a fan, you also, you know, look, at a certain point, you want to enjoy this without feeling like you're breaking the bank too. So it becomes a whole thing. And I think that, um, yeah, once again, when you look at it, I think that it, this is what's led to the streaming wars, right? Because they know it's like, okay, well, 
if you can't make it a monopoly, then that's why we have all this with Canelo and uh, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua, Jake Paul. Everyone's like, hey, you know, I'm with this person and they're paying me a big, a large amount of money. And then it hurts the business because you have an A side, but then the B side is never there to make a super pay-per-view. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, well, so-and-so's ESPN locked him up. Well, the zone is going to lock up the other guy. And it's like, and now we're just never going to fight. Look at all this. Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence, uh, Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua. It's like, dude, you know. It's just such a difficult thing as a fan because those are the fights we want to see. That is what you want to get invested in. And look, I get it. Every business wants their cut. Every You're in it to make money. The fighters, the promoters. But it's just very tough. And it just goes to show why it is so hard. And why do they do this? It's because, hey, I still want to make money. I can't get them both, so I'm just going to keep one. And yep. that's the end of that. Yeah. As a fan... Yes, that's frustrating. As a business, as a person who understands business, you would probably do the same thing if you were a promoter and you couldn't have both. And it's just a tough thing. So, but yeah, that's just really it. Um, I gotta say, when it does happen, it's a special night. Bellator has had a lot of awesome nights. Maybe not as recently, but you know, it's still one of those, and I really want to shout this one out since we don't have any other MMA going on. Natalie, can you believe it? What are we going to do with our weekend? What are you going to do? Oh, what am I going to do? Oh, family barbecue. That's what I'm going to do. There we go. And uh, probably watch some movies or something. There's a lot of TV out there, you know. Ain't that the truth, for sure. (laughs) What about you? You know what? I watch all the TV that I somehow, you know, don't get to on Saturday because I'm trying to be a good MMA fan for the yeah. show. So, but yeah, that's pretty much it for sure. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, next week, um, Alexander Volkov against Jorginho Rosenstrike. Good stuff. Fun fights. Um, until then, have a good one, guys. We'll be back next week.